Dear Bench Units listeners, there are two types of people in this world, bread getters and bed wetters. And this weekend, we wet the bed. Mark, how's it going? <laughs> it's all good, man. I hope in the we, you're not including me and you as the collective there. Um, no, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was Bilbao. I was going to say, um, before you rudely snatched the chance to intro, I was going to ask if you're both cheeks were still gleaming red raw from the unforgiving hand of Santa Stefano. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that, but uh, man, it's really funny. You look at the stats and you look at the plus minuses and I might be able to talk myself into the lineup I was in being okay, but the game was over at that point. Um, <laughs> oh boy, that was not close from about two minutes in. Um, yeah. I've, spent, I've spent from the second we qualified for EuroLeague 1 being like Santa Stefano, man, that's going to be the problem. And I've had other teammates be like, I don't know, this team, that team, or whatever. So um, we showed them. <laughs> Nothing else. At least you've got a keen eye for evaluating your opponent accurately. <laughs> I don't know what that then says about your ability to do anything with the information. Yeah, it's the basketball equivalent of me being painfully self-aware, but unable to change. So it's not really making my life any better or different. Okay, um, well, you got nailed on both fronts. Uh, cool. I'm going to go cry about this. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, it's good, man. It's um, It's been a hectic weekend of watching an awful lot of games. Um, we're, for people who are listening, we're going to touch on the various EuroCup finals that went on over the weekend. Um, we are going to lightly touch on EuroCup 3 because we've got a guest coming on who will be joining. In fact, by the time this is out, everyone who follows us on Instagram will have seen we've got Tom McHugh coming on. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about EuroCup 3 in more depth with him. We'll touch on it just now. Going to talk EuroCup 2 a little bit, although Madiba didn't do themselves any favours by filming the live stream on a potato that was stuck to a random chair in the arena. First yeah, also... Their players and now this. I'd literally heard from Ayaka while at EuroLeague 1 that they weren't streaming EuroLeague 2, and I took that as gospel. But, you know, if they had money to pay for cameras but not players, I would have been quite upset. There was nothing I enjoyed more than, I mean, people who listened to the the qualifying rounds and heard me wax lyrical about how good I thought Fenerbahce were. There was nothing I enjoyed more than not being able to tell whether their shots made or missed, but having acute vision of the people of the row in front texting. And be able to read it word perfect over their shoulder. Yeah, you uh, couldn't tell what was happening in the game, except for you could follow the stats of the <laughs> people's phones. Um, and then, yeah, we're obviously the biggest dance of this past weekend was um, Europe at one, which was seconded by Bilbao. Um, uh, yes. Short order of business before we get to that. It was also the qualifying round, um, which in the slew of games, only got touched on a little bit. Mercia topped that group and therefore will be in Euro Cup next year, and rightfully so, one might argue. Yes, um, and the other group, Volpi Rossi. Yes, uh, way to go then. Boys. And yeah, um, Leganes missing out on that by a single point on points difference to Mercia. <laughs> so they're going to have, I assume they're going to have to try again next year. That feels a little bit unfair. Yeah. Um, couldn't tell you how the qualification tournament works, but shout out to Mercia. They should just pick teams out of a hat. They should. I think that's basically what they do anyway. So I don't see I don't see how you get to decide who's in the hat or not. I think there's just loads of different hats. Like I think I think that's how they do Euroleague pooling. I have no idea. I just I love this bit of pretending not to understand things and implying that it's like a moral stance to not have to do the work. Yes, that's absolutely it. My favorite. But yeah. Also, shout out to Plymouth Fusion. It's cool to see a new UK based team getting involved in EuroLeague. Cool um, to see them get in waxed in every game. Yeah, <laughs> you got you to gotta get in there yeah, in the first place. Start that. getting these points up rather than doing the thing that UK teams do where they finally like build up to being decent and then have to start from the beginning. <laughs> Probably smart. And speaking of good teams starting from the beginning, shall we go to EuroCup 3, which was, as people will know at this point, won by Hanover United, but... We'll have a quick glance at the standings, shall we? And then we'll give our impressions. Yes. So, so, number one, Hanover United. And that was with a win over Sassari. Shout out Mendel. 
hosts Izmir coming in third, London Titans fourth, Toulouse fifth, sixth, Yalova. In fact, I got that wrong. Izmir weren't hosting. They were just, I got my Turkish teams mixed up. Yalova were hosting. Um, yeah, you can't just do that. Pilatus Dragons coming in seventh. There was meant to be an eighth team at this tournament, as there typically is. It was meant to be PDM Treviso. Um, speaking to a couple of my inside informants on that from Treviso, basically all the players in the club pushed to um, do the qualifying round. They hosted the qualifying round. They won every game and they were all set to go to Yalva. And then apparently the club told the players, hey, we put on the qualifying round like you asked. We don't have the money to go to Yalva. So bad luck, guys. So... That's very nice. Hey, we have the money to sow, but if you think for a second we have the money to reap, you've got another <laughs> thing coming. Come on, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Bad luck. It's not easy to run a wheelchair uh, basketball team, but that's that's tough. Yeah, that's it's a tough look, man. It's like I think honestly, we're not here to litigate this kind of stuff, but like if you're the club, just say hey, hang out till next year and we'll get the money raised. <laughs> Let's not do this. Um think ahead. But any any large scale takeaways from any of the teams that aren't Hanover or Sassari first? Um, I vacillated wildly on what I thought of Izmir as the tournament went on. Um, they do the I think we see this at Eurocup with the teams from the slightly more eastern countries, namely Turkey and Israel. Um, where they are happy to just roll out three bigs and two ones, which not really anyone else is doing consistently anymore. Um, mm. And yeah, it looks at times when it's not working well, it looks incredibly old fashioned. And it looks like, I mean, Hanover got Izmir in the semi final and the Hanover mids lineup, just the consistency of that five across the board is so much wildly higher than going three bigs and two ones all the time. But so I was like, oh, Izmir just rely on shot making from Ahmet Efeturk, who, you know, fair enough, that's not a bad strategy. He made the all sub yeah. And they then come out and you're like, well, if Hanover can beat these guys with a mids lineup, they are presumably going to have a very tough time against London Titans, who run essentially the same thing and had beaten Hanover earlier, which I'm sure we'll get to when Tom McHugh joins us. Yes, um, <laughs> just because you want to. Yes. And if I've seen the, if I've seen the plan for the podcast tomorrow which i have we're going to get to it several times <laughs> um it's yeah. funny because he's going to be like what's your deal with being so so upset that we lost to titans and you're going to have to explain yeah, <laughs> we'll get to it but yeah i thought um ismir just kind of looked like we we've talked about it with like Munsterland, where it's like your drop off from your best players to your worst players on the floor at any point is so steep and it was almost kind of like you wouldn't expect if you're like, hey, this team is running the three big model and getting everything out of it. You would maybe think it was like Galatasaray. <laughs> it's like Izmir might legit be better than Galatasaray as of this weekend. Mm. Um, yeah, they just they hit their ceiling in the bronze medal game and they Efforturk particularly knocking shots down all over the place. And they're two, they're not the biggest guys either, and they're just able to make it work, man. They're super disciplined. Um and yeah, I was I was pretty impressed by that. Um, London, I didn't think had a bad tournament. They just, I'll be completely and utterly honest, nothing gave me more pleasure in the entire weekend than seeing them down by about fifteen as the game was slipping out of hand and the complete lack of all the usual rowdiness they're willing to give anybody. It, it's strange how that goes away. So and I enjoyed there, is. there, there, there's your anti-London Titans. I I enjoyed that immensely. How about you? Um. I think it's interesting that you were like the Hanover United sort of mids focus stuff works. So I wonder why the London Titans did, but we're talking about maybe the fifth or sixth best team in Europe playing right. a certain way rather than a, I don't know where London Titans rank in European clubs, but a little further down the list, it's an amateur club, obviously like that stuff makes a difference, but playing the same style, but not having a load of international level mid pointers and, one of them being Sean Norris, I think, obviously makes a difference. Like, um, well, now, I don't think you could just, just find. Now you're just leaning into the question of how London beat Hanover in the first place. Yeah, to be fair, that was that was <laughs> strange. That seemed anomalous. Um, 
but I don't know. My my only London Titans bit is like it was it was cool to see them actually get out there and compete, and also Charlie McIntyre with another uh, All Star and well deserved, and he's looking he's looking good and mobile and skilled and is hitting shots, and it's good yeah. to see. Um, yeah, I've been impressed by him, and I I haven't really seen him play. I saw him at Commonwealth, so obviously three on three is not real, so it was kind yeah. of hard to tell what the deal was, and he's also a child like he's yeah, I, maybe 18 now like but i saw him after that i saw him at a game in sheffield that i went down to that was um road testing oh, yeah. road testing the baby's ears to see if she would be up for traveling to bilbao and watching you guys uh, which was maybe the most quiet crowd i've ever been to because you were playing Juventus. but um yeah so i saw him there he was pretty good and then he has got all star both the qualifying round and the finals now it is consistently getting better by the looks of it. Uh, I thought he had a tough game against Sassari in the final, which really made it difficult for them. But if, yeah, if 17, 18-year-old yeah. kid... Uh, yeah, semi, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, 17, 18-year-old kid, if you're, you know, bar that you're, is the next thing for you to achieve is bringing it against Sassari, which is a team full of veterans and accomplished guys, then I don't think that's a bad spot to be in at this point. Yeah, and a load of mobile mids in one of their lineups anyway, which we'll get to. But um yeah, shout out to him, shout out to Titans um for representing well and getting a win against Hanover, which is something that not a lot of teams have done all season. Yeah. Um so yeah, that was cool. Anyway, should we talk about the final a bit? Yes, let's do it. Cool. So I don't know, there's a weird thing, and I guess I don't really know what Sassari's gonna look like next year. I don't know who's gonna still be there, who isn't, but they're two different well, I say the two main lineups are the sort of three threes. Oh Statue is a two five actually. Sorry. And the sort of mids based lineup with Mendel. Uh and who was their fifth guy? I kind of I always uh, forget his name. Valerio Quaranta, his name is the two pointer. Yes. Or they went um they went um Spanu and um Berdoon. Esteche and Valeria. Yes, and it was weird because I very much like I don't feel like this is a thing a whole lot in the wheelchair game compared to how obviously different it is in the NBA sometimes. But this was like, hey, do you want to score or stop people? At the start of the game, it was like four four after like six minutes. They brought Berdoon in hit a three immediately and it was like okay there you go this might actually carry you if like if Hanover are also going to not be able to score having someone who can sort of juice your offense just about this much might work but then they were just so immobile and even then that's with Mendel and two threes on the floor you're still struggling to stay in front of anyone I think it's partly Spanu's obviously not the most mobile guy in the world and Berdoon can be mobile but kind of prefers to float around and <laughs> like defensively I think when he's when it works it's like wow this guy's playing free safety and floating and helping everywhere and when it isn't it's like looks like he's not doing a whole lot which is I don't think yeah. either of them are strictly the truth I think it's like he tries to play in space defensively rather than anything else but I don't know I yeah. just felt like when that lineup was on the floor Hanover got to the basket a handful of times more than they did previously and when you win a game by a handful that, that'll do yeah i thought it, it was interesting one for sasser man because it's not been like massively publicized because they did it essentially during the italian playoffs but matt foden is obviously now in charge there um very very late season acquisition yes and um yeah he said obviously mendel's been not available for a big chunk of their season and has just kind of cherry picked the the more important games that they've needed him for. Um and yeah, it was it was surprising to see for me, man, to see Leandro de Miranda, who's been one of their mainstays in the games Mendel hasn't been available, was just benched for essentially the entirety of the tournament. Um along with I can't remember their other big three pointers name, Salu Diene. Um oh wow, you pulled that out. I respect it. Thanks. Um but yeah I mean Matt's obviously got his way he likes to play. He wants to go mobile and, you know, kind of pick up high and play super aggressive defense all the time. And they rolled that out against London in the semi-final first. And I was like, this 
is a weird tactic against a team that's, you know, you presume you want to test them from outside first. Uh, and they pulled it off against London um, and had a decent lead. And then they tried the same thing against Hanover. And I was like, man, you're playing with fire on this one. And they did have to go with the with the Badoon lineup. And yeah, for all, all we said about defense just there, man, Badoon nearly carried them to the win on his own. Um, he had one of his best games I've seen this year at the mm-hmm. very least. And I think it was really, it came down for the last few minutes and there was a, a Sassery timeout with a minute and a half left and Hanover up by five. And I think if you were just to watch that, that last minute and a half stretch is actually six, six. Um, so the margin doesn't move at all. But I think if you watch the execution, it's Hanover force a 24 second, get a layup on the other end. Robin makes a three. I think it's then two free throws by Hanover. And yeah. then it's, it's a missed three by Sassari, a made shot by Hanover, and then like a prayer three from Spanu that went in. So it's six, six, but the execution is totally different and is only really made, you know, the, the only reason the score didn't increase in their advantage was kind of less statistically likely shots being made on a couple of occasions. But I thought they, they really put the screws to Sassari when it mattered and they... I think Badoon carried Sassari for like three quarters there and then they decided he wasn't having any more. And Robin and Spanu did their best to make up for it, but it's there's few guys who can accurately um, you know, do their impression of a hot shooting Adolfo Badoon game and when that gets taken away from you, there's not necessarily a huge amount to fall back on. But yeah. I thought Hanover pulled it away in the second half, man, and I think they were the be- they were the best team in the tournament for sure. And We'll hear more about it from an inside perspective soon, but I think the right team won this game. Yeah. I mean, I, I pulled the stats up when you said like a good, like a hot shooting Burdoon game. He was eight from 21. Like it didn't seem, yeah, it felt it like seem right to me, but I was like, I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> I don't know. There's been a handful of games Burdoon this year where it's been like, okay, this is touch and go. And then he just, he's like, I will make enough threes. Yeah. <laughs> I will. It's just like a, it's not like a, I will generate good, consistent offense. It's, I will make this back breaking three at some point, even if it takes me five to make it. This game is four from seven from three. But like, there was a couple of times where I was just like, oh man, you've got, you're yeah. getting jumped and you're shooting the three anyway. Or there's a time where it's like, you get jumped, the ball goes. I mean, the help comes from the middle and Spanu is like just inside the three-point line and he has to take a push to catch and shoot it. And it's like your offense starts and finish. It, it starts with, will Burdoon hit a tough shot? Or maybe if he gets jumped, he'll kick it. And it ends with, all right, Spanu is going to take like a 19-footer. <laughs> it's a weird yeah. one where it's like, if, you, if that was a three, I wouldn't mind it as much. Or if it was like a spot up on the free throw line, I wouldn't mind it as much. But you kind of, the like the sort of, you kind of short circuit your offense because it ends there no matter what. Because I don't think I've ever seen the ball go for Duden's hands, jump, kick to Spanu, and then over to the weak side to no, continue that's... the sort of chain. Yeah. Now, I think, uh, if anything, the final, uh, the last two games for Sassari kind of showed that maybe their weakness was the inconsistency of their role, guys, as much as anything. So I think both Esteche and Joachim Lindblom had shooting games in the semi-final and then I think I sometimes watch them and I think their role players just aren't the most level-headed bunch like they I think the opening minutes against Hanover it was like Robin Pogonish cuts for a layup like gets a little short post up nails that Esteche makes an outside shot and then like the next offense is Robin dribbling around behind a screen and it's like neither of these things like this isn't the thing that got you either of your last two baskets. Like, yeah. let's just run the offense, man. But yeah, so I think a lot of it falls on Badoon and Spanu in that regard. And yeah, I think I think this is actually saturated their best compared to a lot of the season where like the losses to Cantu and stuff were obviously super disappointing. And I think they were at least better than they were then. But as you say, Hanover, uh, you know, top eight somewhere in Europe, I would say, and. You can't really afford the the margin for letting your your less consistent guys run wild. Yeah. Also, just like who on this team, apart from 
maybe Manville a lot of the time gets you like high 40s, mid 50% shooting most games. Like no one apart from Spanu shot 40%. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like the most consistent offense they get would be like if they managed to move the ball well enough to get inside Mendel's at a couple of efficient games for them this year. But like everyone shot badly. You lose a game to a team that shoots 43% because no one got above that on your team. Shall we review the All-Star 5 before we move on? Uh, Yeah, do you happen to have it in front of you? I do indeed, because I'm All prepared. Right. All right, that's nice of you. Yeah. I'm on, I, Hold on, you say you're prepared. I'm on the IWBF Europe website on the page for the results of the Euro Cup 3 finals. One would think it would be here. Uh, I'm on the IWF Europe Instagram because all they care about is the recognition for get, getting it out. <laughs> they don't need it in their official archives. Um, All-Star 5 for Euro Cup 3. Charlie McIntyre of London Titans. Ahmet Efeturk of Izmir. Ahmet Ikizoglu of Yalova. Mandelop de North of Dinamo Sassari. Jan Haller of Hanover United. Sure. Yeah, no arguments. No real issues. Um, this was actually probably the best selected All Star Five of the entire thing. Um, I wonder yeah. if you could could you? I wonder if you go two Hanover guys for winning it, and then minus one for losing a game that they shouldn't <laughs> have, so it ends up with just the one. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll run that by Tom when we speak to him. Cool. Yeah, no arguments for me. We'll get to my arguments with the other All Star Fives as we get there. Sound no worries. Shall we move on? Let's do it. Okay, Euro Cup two that. I was reliably, unreliably informed, wasn't streamed, but it may as well not have been. So I haven't seen anything that happened here. I saw a lot of the results, but I literally, I honest to God, when I heard it wasn't streamed, I was like, oh, cool, less basketball to watch. That'll do. Um, <laughs> Soundbite. Pardon? Soundbite. Yes. All right. Um, so this is one by Fenerbahce, your favorite. Um, Fenerbahce against Julianova. Uh, in a final that was 60-48. Oh, boy. Um, not getting to the requisite 63 on this one. Yeah. Um, Pierre, third. Madiba, fourth. Cologne, fifth. Mo sixth. Um, Beit Halkem Haifa, seventh. And Ilan Spilwak Ramat Gan, eighth. Yeah. So, <laughs> my... First takeaway from this was, I think maybe the opening game or second game of the entire weekend was um, Gillianova and Fenerbahce because they're in the same group. And I think if you watched that game, you could make a reasonable... I mean, watching the game was difficult enough in itself because it was like watching it through a damn sandstorm. Um, yes. but Sandstorm think, by Darude, of course. <laughs> You could um, make a reasonable argument it was going to be those two in the final. Uh, Jillian over won that game by seven, I think, and should have topped the group, but they actually went on and lost to Mo, which was weird and unexpected. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting one. We obviously talked about Jillian over a little bit last week, and we you obviously ran up against them at the end of January just there, and they finished fourth in your guys' group, but I think watching them this weekend as compared to watching both Lacane and Galatasaray, who um also went to your qualifying group and ended up in EuroCup one alongside you, I think there would be a reasonable case to make that if you were to replay that group at this stage of the season, Julian Over would have a reasonable shout to finish second. I think they've hmm. they've been on way more of an upward trajectory and the other teams have slipped. Not that that matters. Not that the other two teams matter a huge amount here, but I think Gillianova is so much better than they were earlier in the season. Yeah. Um, Shea Barber by being a, a big reason for that. And if you... I don't know what it is about him, but if you watch Matteo Cavagnini, he seems to be like a one-man fix for any team that goes with like three or more bigs. He's like, hey, just roll me out as the lone big man on my team and I will arm wrestle all of them consecutively or at once he's just ready to scrap i love it <laughs> he's amazing like even however old he is now he's he's a beast man yeah and he he just he's got like the same thing that simon munn had in the later years where it's like hey your guys are big 
I just have old man strength where I can like make a bit of chair contact and get two hard pushes in and I'm kind of in a position position to shoot over anybody anyway. Yeah. Um, it comes from like basketball before people figured out that you could get you could get better looks than just like big shooting contested post ups. So he's just like, Yeah, bad looks fine for me. No worries, man. Although in saying this in the final he was one from ten, but Yeah. Uh, kind of um, got let down by everyone who wasn't Shea Barber Bay in the final. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you, if you were to watch the initial game, the first Gillianova and Fenerbahce game, um, Gillianova get by on Shea Baba by making shots, and the fact that Fenerbahce just lived to play super aggressive defense at all times, and they would quite happily jump the ball with two defenders on literally any possession, even if the guy's not made any shots yet. Um, and Gillianova kind of leveraged that, and they were doing, in that game specifically, they were doing a lot of stuff where they put Cavanini at the free throw line as the receiver, so yeah. they'd run the two-man game ball to Cavanini, and he's kind of big enough to see over the top of the defense and like little dump-down passes, and they got decent shots off of that. And I think that was really the tool in their arsenal that won them the first game, and Fenerbahce weren't going to let that happen again. They were basically like, hey, we got four bigs out here for a reason. Like, What's the point of having four bigs out here if we're going to let this one guy just pass the ball over the top of us whenever he feels like it? Yeah, and yeah, yeah like there, shouts to Julian Overman, but Fenerbahce easily had the most on-paper talent in this tournament, I would think. I would love to hear any argument as to otherwise, but <laughs> I don't think yeah. there's much fun. Um, I, I can't disagree, especially having played Julianova. Like as you, you, you say they've gotten better as as it's gone along, and maybe that's the case. But I think it's hard when you play when you've played someone in a year. It's hard to be like, oh yeah, this is fundamentally different. Like I'm watching other teams struggle to play against them, and maybe it's because Bilbao have been quite good all year. I'm just like they didn't seem they didn't have a whole lot for us, and maybe it's just we were defensively equipped to deal with them, but it seems weird to me like but also every game that they've won that surprised me all year it's just been like barbie bay's had 20 something and i wonder if teams underestimate how much he makes them tick by just hitting shots in the middle yeah no that's that's all he wanted to do against us as well but we just as a hard and fast rule we're like no no this guy doesn't guy doesn't take a shot yeah no i think um i think you're right i think they in fairness to them, I think they've very much, given the talent they have, I think they've brushed up against the ceiling of what they're capable of um, for the season. And if that is winning an Italian playoffs, then, you know, more power to you. But I think it's a tough ask when you go in and score an upset of a more talented team in game one of the tournament. It is a big, big ask to try and pull that off again in the final. Like, yeah. So the only way you can do that is if they have been like, ah, that was kind of a fluke, we'll be fine. But I don't think anybody's... I think if they played each other like two just regular season games, you might have a chance to steal it, but I don't think anyone's leaving anything to chance in the final. And... Yeah. It's also just like, there's a weird thing of... We had the conversation when we played a union two weeks before the Copa del Rey, and we just tried a lot of weird stuff, and some of it worked. And I was like, oh, I kind of wish we'd kept some of this for the game that matters in two weeks. And maybe there's a bit of that as well, where you have an adjustment to play against a team that you think might have more talent than you. And it works, and they're like, oh, cool, we'll have seen it now. So they're going to then adjust. Yeah, it's like the, there's... um On one of the Ringer podcasts, there's the thing that Raja Bell always talks about, where he watched Kobe Bryant film for like hours and hours and hours. And he was like, right, when he comes off here and he turns right, he brings the ball too low and I'm going to swipe down on it and knock it out of his hands at this point. And he did it on the first play of the game. And he was like, gotcha. And then Kobe didn't do it again for the entire game. He was like, okay, yeah, great players. You get them once. And then they're like, cool, not going to do that anymore. Yeah, they're just like, all right, information downloaded, no problem. But yeah. um, Only other talking point from the Jillian over Fenerbahce thing. I've been high on Fenerbahce, as people probably know. I think they showed they've got the power to muscle through. I think the scoring totals in a couple of their games indicated 
they need a little bit more if they're going to, because they'll be going up to Eurocup one at least for um, next season. And I think they're going to need a little bit of refinement of their general approach and game plan because they, I mean, what do I know? Because San Stefano won Eurocup one and nobody could accuse them of being overly refined. Um, but yeah, I think they, there's all the talent is there, but I think they're bumping up against the ceiling a little bit with the whole go a thousand percent intensity at all times and hope you can muscle your way through. I don't think that's going to fly massively against better opposition. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure it, I think that stuff has a ceiling, but the more we, the more we talk about this and we'll get on to this based on some matchups in EuroLeague one, but I think we just like seeing stylistic differences, whether it's the best way to play basketball or not. I think I just, I'd love to see them take the step up next year and play against better teams and, just see them try and muscle their way through a wall rather than figuring out a way around it. Yeah, but... Um, last thing on this group, uh, Hiers and Madiba was the third fourth game. Hiers came back and stole it in the fourth quarter. They ended up winning seventy seven seventy one. Um, yeah. I don't think that game will have been on anyone's appointment viewing. No disrespect to either team and. If it was on your appointment viewing, then you probably have to squint your entire way through it. But and also welcome, come on the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah, that actually. If anyone is looking for stuff to go back and watch, if you weren't able to watch, you know, six games concurrently at any given point of the weekend, that one actually really did turn out to be a good game. And you just mentioned stylistic clashes. There is no greater stylistic clash than Nico Joancer trying to fight off John Hernandez and Salvador Sandoval. Yeah, I just love someone playing against a team and being so different that he's like, would you guys all just slow down for a minute? <laughs> I love yeah. that. Um, being like, hey, if we get down the floor early, we'll generate good offense. Just be, in, in, Instead of being like, if you just give me a minute, I promise you I'll get you a good shot. I'll get to it. Don't worry. It's like when someone keeps asking you to do something, you're like, I'll get to it eventually. But <laughs> doing that with like long post-ups. But yeah. Those are the um, longest chair in the world versus the shortest chair in the world in post-ups. Oh man, we should have um should have built the battle as that. But um I don't think yeah, it's I think, fun for anyone. I think um he has an interesting one, man. They've not been in EuroCup for a little while now, and they're obviously not what they were if you look at the the run of years where obviously Nico's always been there, but they had Josh Tarek at one point, they had Dominic Mosler for a run of years there. They had Lalo very briefly before COVID shut everything down. That was a weird um, one. I for- I always forget about that. Yeah, and they they just don't have the inside big to compliment Nico at the moment. Ironically, either John Hernandez or Salvador Sandoval or potentially both would be a great compliment to him if either of those guys fancied ditching Badajoz for Monaco. But, or yeah. vice versa, which has never happened. But... Yeah, that's not happened. Um, but yeah, I obviously he has made a decent account of themselves here. It would be cool to see them land another complimentary piece to Nico and kind of get, get back a little bit closer to where they were a few years ago. Um, I would like to see that as a big Nico Joancer fan, but maybe yeah. I'm the only one clamoring for that. I kind of like the opposite where he's just like, do I have to do everything around here? Just heaving up post-ups like he's annoyed about it. <laughs> Shooting a post-up like he, like someone's annoyed that you didn't take the you didn't take out the trash. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, I get no, don't worry, I'll do it. No, 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 don't get up. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't get up is a great thing. Right. Um, we anything else on this? I'll I'll briefly start five. Out. I'll briefly shout out Mo for beating Gillianova. Um Mo without John T. Brown, who started the season with them and was there for that qualifying round. I don't know what's gone on there. Um, no idea. Obviously a little bit shorthanded going into this one, so sneaked out a pretty good win. Ended up finishing sixth. And yeah, man, French teams slowly clawing their way back to, to relevancy, hopefully. Well, I say hopefully, but last thing we need is another league's worth of games to watch every weekend. Like, Hey, we haven't touched on this yet, but how excited are you to not have to watch 11 games all summer? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> there's a thing of, like, we will have to figure out ways of generating, like, artificially generating content that people care about. But I don't think people caring about it has ever been a criteria for us, has it? No. 
the amount of times we talk about this and we're like, ha, ah, that was the best. I don't care what other people think is alarming, but yeah. uh, we enjoy it. But anyway, talking about um, your, early, oh, I had a good, I had a good segue, but I just can't quite get there. I was going for like talking about a Euroleague dominated by a league that we pretend we don't care about. Euroleague won. Wait. Three out of the top four teams were Italian. You literally reminded me three seconds ago we need to do All-Star 5 for Euro Cup 2. Yes. Um, so All-Star 5, Melanie Hortan of Gillianova, who rudely has ignored our request to come on the podcast. So one less All-Star selection for her. You said oh, rudely. It's also we, like also we were like, we had, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of Melanie fans that want her on the podcast as well. Yeah, that's no, true. Um, Audrey Kyle of Mo. Shea Bababai, somewhat unsurprisingly, Salvador Sandoval of Madiba, and Nico Juanse. Pretty decent. My main gripe with this one is Fenerbahce won this whole thing and they got precisely zero all-star selections. That is not ideal. That's not how this works. And if no. you want if you want your argument to be, well, they were just the best team across the board, so it wasn't one specific guy. Pick all five of them. Pick all five. <laughs> that, <laughs> if if the one team is better than a collective All-Star 5 for the rest of the group, they should have at least five All-Stars. Yeah, I want the Atlanta Hawks player of the week thing. Let, let's do this while we're sitting here. Would Fenerbahce's starting five where they go... So they go Farid, um, Sayari, Motez Abedi, and I can never remember the big Iranian 4.5s original name. He now goes by the Turkish name of Yamach Yüksel. Um but I think it was Morteza Ibrahimi, something like that. Um would those four bigs and their female one, would that beat the All Star five for this tournament? Uh do you remember the female one's name while we're naming all the other players? I probably well I don't, but I, I'm sure I have it somewhere. Just for the sake of not being asshole about this, answer my question, and I'll find the. Um... um, I mean, I think so. Yeah. Um, it was good enough to beat those guys in their natural habitats. So if you made strangers who don't all speak the same language play in a team, um, <laughs> that's, um, a, that's a very good point. I'd not thought of that one. Yeah, it's a real limitation. I don't have the stats for this game, so I will apologize up front to um. The fifth Fenerbahce starter, whose name I forget. I uh, yeah, I'd be into it. Um, I think it'd be. I I I think they'd win. I I think this should be. You know how he talks about should you be able to put random crap on the line? Um, when, you know, there's big games or like, this game is ahead of Euro Cup. Can you put your spots on the line or whatever? Do you think? If you're a team that feels like you're underrepresented in the All Star Five, should you be allowed to take on the All Star team in like a closing ceremony game, and you get to be All Stars if you beat them? Um, that would be fun. Their fifth starter is Kinem Kulbai. Okay, there we go. According to all these stats, you will. Um, but yeah, um, that'd be fun. I'm trying to figure out like there are, there are sometimes tournaments where like a year league three. All-Star team is better than a EuroLeague 1 All-Star team, and I would love to see them face off against each other. Yeah, it should should be a thing. because Personally, one... because I would love the IWBF to have an All-Star team that literally gets on the floor and then gets attacked automatically. <laughs> I want them to deal with that. Um, perfect. Shall we move to EuroCup 1? Yes, we shall and should and will and already have. All right, so Santa Stefano won. Uh, they beat us, Bidai the Bilbao, 69-53 in the final. I thought there was a world in which we were going to scrape to 63 points and then I could have made the joke, but didn't get anywhere near it. Um, Cantu beating Padova for third, uh, Padova in fourth then, obviously. Um, fifth was Galatasaray beating Lanyon. Seventh and eighth, Lekanet uh, beating Hamburg. That was the shock of the tournament but well the other group the second group that we were not in was Hornets, Galatasaray, Lanyon and I mean sorry um Padova and Santa Stefano and Padova just threw a spanner in the works almost immediately. Yeah let let's start with them then because I mean 
the the whole reason the standings look a bit topsy-turvy is in the bench units derby, the most anticipated game of the year, uh, Le Canet and San Stefano, that was really all I was looking forward to on day one of EuroCup. Was... I, I, I did message you at one point telling you that I would literally miss one of my own games to be at the halfway line watching that one live. And uh, I wish I meant it. However, the two venues were too far away. We weren't even playing when it was on. I was just yeah. in the wrong venue. We'll get to this in a second. Oh, that, so disappointing. Second, that second venue, um, the Cantu hosted EuroCup, looked just like a school sports hall, was it? The the floor was actually quite nice. Um, the baskets were quite nice. It was just the room was quite small. Like the court one was the actual arena. The court two was a really nice basketball court with a stand on one side and zero runoff on the other three sides. So it wasn't great. Um, so yeah, the Cantu, not Cantu, the San Stefano and Le Canet game was going on and they were busy bludgeoning each other with blunt objects. And meanwhile, um, I was like trying to do the whole thing where I had like six live stats open at any given point. I was like, hang on. And like blinked furiously at that one for a little bit. I was like, out of a beating Galatasaray by like it was verging on double figures at that point. I think it was late first half. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, they were up 12 at one point. Um, it was their biggest lead. And yeah, and they, so I like had that, I had the main show on the TV and I put this game on my phone. Um, Shout out to my work for not letting me have a laptop that just has uns, um, supervised browsing and I could have just run YouTube on there as well, but apparently they think otherwise. Um, and yeah, I had that game on my phone. I was like, what's going on, man? Out of a playing, essentially played five guys the entire tournament. Um, yeah. And Galatasaray did their weird defense where they kind of push their ones up high and then Chem just goes kind of side to side of the charge circle and the bigs stay out far on the baselines. And Badova first beat Galatasaray and then they beat La Canet the following day. And it turns out their great strength is they just played common sense basketball against teams that had weird gimmicks. Um, and against Galatasaray, it was primarily, well, if Chen's just going to sit in the charge circle, we'll get one of our guys to roll a foot inside the free throw line and consistently make a like 13 foot uncontested shot. And if Chem comes up, we'll dump the ball inside to Ahmed. Who like, this is? <laughs> Did you watch Ahmed and be like, "Hey, the Italian men's team could really use this guy"? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like he's been doing that for twenty years. Like he's thirty eight right now. Like. People know what this guy can do. And you, you're like, ah, oh, he's a one five. We have the rule of like I don't know, Team X has the has a rule of like defending a one a certain way. And you're like, oh no, this guy yeah. once he catches the ball, the like the bits of the body that he still has are fully able bodied. And <laughs> he's gonna like he's also super strong, like big chair, really good finisher on the one hand that he has. And they play him on the left block so that if you triple down you don't get to the hand that he shoots the ball with so really hard to stop but also have I told you my theory on why random miscellaneous Italian team X did well against um, Galatasaray if you overlay the pictures of shots that Galatasaray's sort of 3-2 blitz defense gives up with shots that Italian fours like to take (laughs) You just color in a full basketball court. Like they basically they go bigs on the baseline, one big in the charge circle, ones on the three point line. The elbow is just wide open. And any like I feel like if you're an Italian person and you lose a leg, they they're literally like, Oh, I'm so sorry this happened. Here you go. Um, don't worry, no, you're okay, you're safe, you're in hospital, we're looking after you. By the way, so if you can just get to the elbow. <laughs> But yeah, like it is. I had said this before when we played um, Galatasaray and blew them out in our place. Part of it was like, we have an Italian four, we'll be fine. We'll just get to the elbow and score. Don't worry about it. And Papi had 46. (laughs) So there's Uh, not, there's not like Italians haven't missed against Galatasaray all year, basically, uh, is my theory. 
I hadn't drawn that through line, but you are correct. Um, I just, I don't know, when I play teams that have weird gimmicks, I'm like, where's the space? It's not even a weird gimmick. When I have teams that have specific ways of playing defense and things that they stop and things they want to give up, I'm just like, okay, wait, like, what will they give us? And is it something we want? Cool. Done. Yeah, I thought, I thought if you watched Padova, they, it was knocking down shots from around the top of the key and also... We talked about it in the qualifying round, but Abdel Bukhanya, who is universally underrated because he plays for Padova and, you know, they're not kind of front and centre of people's wheelchair basketball viewing experience. But I don't think I've ever seen one guy get more people with a pump fake in a single game. And it's because the bigs are so deep for Galatasaray. They're then making up so much ground to try and contest him. And he, he had like a possession where he pump faked Piot and Chem like twice consecutively without even moving his chair and it's like hey guys if you just played five man defense this wouldn't be happening yeah and it's dumped to Ahmed and layup and Galatasaray just absolutely were not ready for it as you know you couldn't really blame them for that I don't think anyone saw that coming and then to completely invert the thing Padova went up against a team who was a stylistic opposite of Galatasaray in Le Canet and called the bluff on their gimmick as well. And they were like, hey, if you guys just want to fly around, how about we just set a five-man zone defense and see if you want to beat us with mismatch shooting? <laughs> so, yeah. Like for for like are they having four giants out there at any given point, no team who's played against them has really factored in that they have four guys who want to shoot from like the charge circle. Carlier may be a slight exception. Yeah. But, yeah. It's very much like, oh right, cool. Um, do you want to like just barrel your way inside and just shoot over the top of us. All right, do anything else and we'll see yeah. what happens. And to be fair, they scored well, but it did go to overtime. Like It did, yeah. No, it was, Um, I thought it was a great showing for Padova, man. They obviously get surviving any tournament playing five guys. Such intense minutes is tough, even if your five guys made up the favorites for the tournament, but then beating the teams they did. They obviously lost to Santa Stefano and lost to you guys. And they really struggled against the other two Italian teams in the group, which I thought was interesting because it's like the fact they were managed to spring a surprise on the teams that didn't know them as well. Yeah. But obviously, I don't know. You'd think maybe they were as familiar with Cantu and Santa Stefano as the other teams were with them. But, you know, maybe it, maybe the advantage goes to the more talented team in the case of familiarity. Um. <laughs> And yeah, the on the flip side of that, you guys had almost no trouble in your group, and you kind of cruised to the top of that. And you all guys for nothing. Dispatched Padova in the semi-final, and then got amped by <laughs> San Stefano in the final of this one. Oh boy! Um, Can I read you some stats from our San Stefano game that might make a bit of a difference? Before we do, do you have anything to say on the rock fight between San Stefano and Lecane? Have you been back and watched it? Um, unfortunately, uh, the live stream has been recording with music in the background or maybe streamed directly through while games weren't on. Um, and that has resulted in copyright infringement and the stream has been taken down. So I haven't even watched our own games back because I can't because they're not there anymore. The last streams that are there are day one, um, right. court one and two. So to be fair, I probably can't watch that game back now, but um. Yeah, half the so, games aren't there anymore because the streams are taken down because they had live music in person, which you're allowed to play, but yeah. that was streamed on YouTube, which you're very much not allowed to do. Yeah, fair enough. Um. So yeah, to fill you in very quickly on that one, it was exceptionally low scoring and exceptionally scrappy, as you could probably imagine, between two teams whose preferred style of play could generously be described as indelicate. Um, yeah, well, this was the bench units, the bench units derby. Basically, we were just excited uh, to watch this, but no, yeah. was, I had a gap in between two games where I had to like shower, change, eat, recover, have a phone call. Like I had fifteen different things to do, so I like watched a bit of it over someone's shoulder. But yeah, yeah. so Lacane, um, Lacane got out ahead. Santa Stefano pulled it back, and. Like and they finally were able to get some breakaway layups to kind of put the game away. But the story of that game was that Sabri Bedzetti of um Santa Stefano was two from eighteen in that one. Yeah. And yeah, they obviously 
did enough work elsewhere in the group. They beat Padova that morning. They beat Galatasaray fairly convincingly the following day, and that got them through on points difference. So yeah. they were okay. And then they got the pleasure of roughing you guys up for 40 minutes or Ooh, 25 boy. minutes until you subbed in, and then it was even after that. So, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, also, not real. We played against their... We played garbage time as well. I would argue that was mostly garbage time. There was like a three-minute stretch when we came on the floor. It was like, can we make a push at this? No. Cool. So, two stats talking about them roughing us up. They had 11 offensive boards, and we had 18 turnovers. Jeez. In a team that you know... Is going to try and press you for 40 minutes, is going to successfully press you for 40 minutes. Us being a team that don't really turn the ball over a whole lot. Um, and as I said, like I from the second I realized we were playing them in Euroleague one, I was like, no, that's the team, that's the team that's gonna give us some trouble. So we were all ready for it in theory. Well, well, no, we were all knew it was coming, but we weren't ready for it. Um, they they roughed us up. Uh, we give them too many second shots. Like if you look, they shot forty one percent, but like we shot forty four. But yeah, that means sorry, we shot forty two. Um, but we just if you think considering some of those were offensive boards and putbacks, like what percentage did they shoot on their actual first shot half court offense? That number is probably low enough that we had a shot if we didn't give them runaway layups from turnovers and second chance boards but um, i'm not saying like that sounds sounds like i'm talking like we gifted it to them they have a play style that pushes them into being more likely to get that sort of stuff and it worked it worked really well and we had no idea what to do with it and i don't feel like we got very close for a while we started real bad and then we kind of pulled it back to I think it was two at one point in the no it was three at the end of the first quarter three I, thought, then. I thought it was interesting you guys weathered the storm on the first punch um, no we didn't we just came back well yeah you, <laughs> that's why ultimately you know had you just gone by the quarter by quarter scores you would have been like oh they they stuck with them and then the second quarter was really where they got you um I thought it was interesting you had the bit a couple of weeks back after Belgium where you joked about Sabri Bedzetti's hair adjustment mid-game. And yes. I'm incre- I'm increasingly convinced that's actually part of his follow-through because make or miss on any given shot, he adjusts his hair with his left hand. Um, but yeah, he... You've got to be able to see, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could just keep your hair out of your face <laughs> somewhere. Um, yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. You've literally got a haircut for practical reasons recently. That's not like... That's true. Not everyone is alike. Uh, he he could do the same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he kind of got, he'd been a little bit inefficient and kind of inconsistent through some of the early games. But I think this was really an example. It's always, I always think it goes kind of one way or another when one team's had an easier path to the final than the other. And I think you actually got the inverse of this last week when you had two tougher games to get to the Copa del Rey final as opposed to Amiab who blitz through their two games to get the final by like a combined hundred point margin. Yeah. Um and yeah, Santa Stefano, you know, came in already with a sweat worked up, right? And they'd been through a tough road to get there and they just looked I mean, saying they looked more more intense doesn't really cover what they look like most of the time because I think there's few teams equipped to match their physicality. But for me the thing with them was I don't know if you remember when we we're in Planet Steelers and we knew Bill Bauer were coming. We were like, hey, between like James, Harry, Ben, and Jim Palmer and like those guys, we've got enough guys to get in front of Asier's chair and make it difficult for him to work off picks. And then within like five minutes, we're like, okay, this guy, like there is no making him work off picks. You just can't stop his chair. Yeah, so- he's got like the, the the his foot plate's got like the equivalent if you try and push two of the same pole of two magnets to, <laughs> against each other and you're like, why can't I stop this? Or like a Roomba. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but San Stefano did that as well as anybody I've ever seen. And if you look at Asier's stats, he had two points, 10 assists, but eight turnovers. And, you know... Took five I, shots is a big thing. Like, If anyone wants to go back and find the last game in which Asier had 
you know, five shots and eight turnovers, then be my guest, but I won't be looking that far back in the archives. Um, Take a little minute. Um, yeah, they managed to make us really uncomfortable. And I think that was one of my fears where obviously we're at our best when we're kind of all in a line, all playing a certain way. Um, especially with how Asier likes to play. And I think they were really good at taking us out of it and their kind of ways to hedge against that, but we just weren't. Once again, knew it was coming, still weren't ready for it um, because I think it's all well and good in saying when this person hits your chair like a ton of bricks, you have to just do X. But then the first time, like one of those guys hits your chair, like, oh my God, please leave me alone. Um, I'm still gathering up my teeth and then I'll do X. But yeah, um, Bedzetti being quite efficient was not something we banked on. Like if you'd have said Giorretti was 8 from 22 and Bedzetti was 8 from 16, I probably would have assumed they were swapped. But yeah, uh, the I think the Giorretti thing is is interesting, man, because he he was what pulled them back into the game against Lacane and he was big against Galatasaray as well. And I've always been, I think the San Stefano coach has a reputation for being very... Um, regimented with his subs and what units he wants to play and whatever and this was the most I've ever seen him just let Giretti do his thing because he's normally like so at the moment we're we're trying to deal with um my daughter's skin conditions right we're <laughs> to give her this steroid cream this is a wild wild yeah. wild analogy we'll get there but the doctor's like, you can give her this steroid cream, it'll clean it right up, it'll get her skin back to where it's meant to be, but you can't keep using it because it's going to be bad for her in the long run. And you're seeing it fix the problem, you're like, man, this would be great if we could just keep using this consistently and there weren't any negative side effects. And I think Coach Cherisholi of San Stefano has never really considered whether there's any negative side effects to Giretti because he uses him like he's steroid cream and he's like right we're down <laughs> we're down 10 right go in get us some buckets quick okay cool we're back to zero thanks Andrea you can go back to what you were doing <laughs> while he rolls out the unit that got them down in the first place and it's like just keep this guy in the game and he's probably your most consistent source of outside yeah. shooting I think they have been more recently like this year they've been keeping in he's been kind of their number one guy as the season's gone on from what I've seen and more in European competitions, but he's also just like the only one anyone felt like they should jump all year. Yeah. Apart um, from Michelli every so often will just go nuts. Yeah, um, he did. Four he from did. six isn't going nuts. Four from six is being efficient, but, but um, yeah. they run this nice set where they go Michelli on the left baseline, Giretti on the left wing, Bedzetti on the free throw line or like three point line up the middle. And they run across from the middle to the wing dribble off it uh, to the right and as you get a roll there you kick it to the corner so you've got the shooter in the corner the um the guy that's jumping is coming up the floor away from the shooter so it's like where's the rotation if you were jumping it from the top round you would just naturally continue on to the baseline but they ran that against us a couple of times and I was like oh cool writing that one down that's interesting <laughs> but because um, I've seen it run the other way like there's a load of teams that run it the other way where you run a pick through the elbow dribble off towards the like dribble off towards the wing and then you kick it to the corner but doing the opposite it's a harder pass but i think it's probably a harder help as well yeah um yeah shouts to santa stefano man they absolutely took this one i think this is the they obviously went to champs cup going back nearly 10 years now when europe looked very different club wise um but that was a very different iteration of the team. And I think this is a massive accomplishment given the roster that they've got and the other guys who were there. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I think we'll do the All-Star 5 in a second, but I think you you watched the games this weekend and it's like, to say we talked a few weeks ago about how we watched the international competition and we were a little bit like, man, this is some pretty weak teams in here. I think... The club scene across Europe currently, certainly the breadth of talent is as much as it has ever been. For some reason, that's not translating to the national teams necessarily being stronger than they have been in the past. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's like a breadth rather than a depth thing. You know, of there's obviously diminishing returns. Each country can only select 12 guys. But yeah, if, if you were to watch these three or four tournaments that have been going on this weekend and be like, oh, by the way, the, the four heavyweights still need to battle it out. I think 
basketball across the continent is in a pretty good spot. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. So anyway, talking about the heavyweights, um, we get to the very biased All Star Five first because somehow a competition that took place in Italy, we've ended up with four Italians making the All Star Five. I wondered at one point if Carlo de Giusto was in the background with just (laughs) one foot outside his footplate, kicking along, writing the All Star team. But also, I I'm not that against it um, either. No. Um, Do you want to rattle them off? You got them. Now, do you want to do it? You you can. Okay, so the non-Italian, Maciek, um, they came seventh, but he's great. So. Uh, I, I really struggle getting anyone for it. My ideal formulation of All-Star 5 is two from the first seeded team and teams two, three, and four get a guy each. I understand there are exceptions to that, but plucking a guy from seventh is a bit steep. Not yeah. the same Although it is five. like a three-way tie knocks them out. Like I, to be fair, I would have said this before. Like Santa Stefano, obviously took it to us, but I didn't want to see Lecanay until the final either. Well, at least you like, avoided them. Yeah, we avoided them. I thought it was home and dry at that point. Saga. Um, no, I didn't. But yeah, Marcek made it. Ahmed Rara, he made it well deserved. Filippo Carasino for Cantu, who finished third place. Um, Andrea Giretti of San Stefano and Giulio Maria Papi in his homecoming tournament. I thought that was a cool touch. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of issues with it. I wondered if Bugania had a shout for Padova. Yeah, I but I think Ahmed the Ahmed in the low point of spot is a cleaner fit, I think. I could see the argument for Bugania getting Filippo Carasino's spot, but also Cantu beat them in the three four games. So Yeah, there you go. You got to get someone in Canto. You could have gone like Bogania and Lucas rather than Papi and Ahmed, but like I think they got it right. Yeah, um, fair enough. No, no arguments. Also, I think Papi's just getting to the like Greg sort of show up at a tournament, and there you go. We've already got your new like they go uh, the All Star team at the one pointer spot. This guy and the inaugural Greg Warburton two pointers All Star spot. Greg Warburton. At three, you know what I mean? Like We should do that, actually. We should do an All-Star 5 trophy cabinet of who they're all named after. You know how the NBA renamed all the awards this yeah. year? Yeah. Um, Get quite close to it being like who you think the greatest whatever of all time is, but um, you could try and just make sure that it wasn't that by going like, no, no, who gets the All-Stars? Um, the one-pointer the, the one pointer spot for the we want to go over points. Uh, <laughs> but no. Um, right. Should we move on? Let's do it. We'll... Talking about stars or something. Uh, terrible. <laughs> Champions Cup Final Four is next weekend. Call it right now. Three, two, one. Thuringen over Amiab in the final. Uh, Amiab over Thuringen in the final. Okay. You you actually um, you got a little spicy the other week when you called Amiab the favourite. That, that was you getting off the fence as much as you ever do. The only take you've ever had hotter than that one was that Coke Zero is good. Um, um... That is such a that is such a mild take, and also you could look at it at it as like more of my friends are in the team that I called. If you really want to like go back to calling me a coward, but sure. um, uh, yes. no, no, I think I'm gonna. There's a weird thing where I kind of stuck with that all season. I thought it was Amiab all season, and then like I feel like us scraping by them once, and then maybe like ah man, figured it out, uh, turning it <laughs> all the way would have been ridiculous because i don't think it's true uh so I think this sets it up to be more fun anyway right i think we've got opposite picks and uh, i think they're the two teams favored to get out of their semi-finals although anything can happen we should um, watch it live and record oh no i've said this online so we kind of feel like we should do it no, never mind i didn't mean that i might be busy when it's on um my final rankings i'm gonna go thuringen amiab ilunion in fact, now I might go Landil over Elunion because Elunion don't have Amadou and he is usually the guy who kills Landil for some reason. So I'm going to follow follow the logic that I believe to be correct. I'm uh, going to disagree with you on both games just to make it fun. Okay, let's do that. Except for we both agreed on the semifinals. But also, I do think any four of the teams could actually win it. I do think there are four, like there are rankings and there are favorites, but I don't think there's like a, oh no, this team never would. Like, I don't think there's a world in which you could say that, like, there's no chance of Landil or Alunion 
winning yeah. two games in a weekend. Like, there's a reason that this is the top four. Like, a lot of the talent is concentrated here. And the thing with Landale, I just think, like, if you look at, obviously, I know Simon was not there for their two last German games, like the playoff finals, but because of, obviously, what's happened with them recently, like, they thin out a little quicker when they look for options, which is, once again, Simon being there gives them two more lineups that they didn't have, but it just, I don't know. Okay, here's one, as we've just talked about the rest of the competition. Who, in what year are we going to see a final four that's not these four teams, and who's going to be the team that squeaks its way in? You don't have to say who they would necessarily be replacing, because I feel like that's not fair. <laughs> um, I have no idea, because I don't know what you even need to do to get into a Champions Cup qualifier. Well, um, yeah, true. Okay. The probabilities are probably with like a gala or something that just like figure out a way to amass talent and then do it again. Like if I told you that like a load of top, top level players ended up in gala in the next five years, you'd be like, mm, yeah, okay. It's happened right. before. Yeah, that's fair. That's probably the safest bet. I don't know. There are division two English teams that could make Champions Cup if they wanted to. So we'll figure it out. Belfast Knights. No, um, they certainly don't have the points. Yeah. <laughs> right, so there are calls. If anyone wants to let us know what their calls for the big dance is, then get in touch. Should we do the belt before we get out of here? I feel like assigning a single belt for this weekend is a tough ask, but I think I have a candidate. I automatically went to EuroLeague 1 because it was the one I was at rather than 2 or 3, but does your candidate come from EuroLeague 1 as well? does indeed. Do you want to give okay. me yours? Um, is it one of the two people? Is it one of the two Italian fours that won the tournament? Certainly is. Okay. Is it? Is it the one that I expected? Please guess who on the podcast. Yeah. I was going to say, is it the one that I expected to shoot really well in the final, or the one that did? <laughs> um. Yeah, I thought Giretti was the best guy in the tournament, and I think so too. Yeah, he was the man, and he, the difference in him, at his peak ability, was enough to carry. I what maybe wasn't his peak in the final, but he got them through some tough spots, man. And I thought he was their most impactful guy over the weekend and huge win for them. And most importantly, as we saw them get knocked out by Julian Oval, we were questioning whether this was the time for San Stefano to go and reimagine the formula a little bit. And he has proved once and for all that my belief in flawed, hectic basketball is well founded. And for that, I thank him sincerely. And I apologize for comparing him to steroid cream. And as a wise man once said, the first adjustment is you just got to play harder. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've been the bench units. Thank you very much for listening. And yeah, Peace. See you next we'll week. See you soon. Joined by Tom McHugh. Keep an eye out. Bye.